fasting and, and uh, in our elder meeting this week, we just thought, wow, what a great opportunity. We have so many new faces with us that, that have maybe never even been through uh, one of these weeks of prayer and fasting. And you might be thinking, what, is, what even is that? Or, or what's the big deal? Why, why do you guys do that? Why has that become such a, a big part of what you guys do year after year? And, uh, and so we thought it might be a, a good opportunity to kind of shift a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and as we're looking at a couple weeks out from, from starting that, uh, have an opportunity to provide some testimonies of people, uh, elders, and those in the congregation who have fasted with us uh, and have an opportunity to share what God has done through those times. Um, <clears throat> I think many of you may have an idea of fasting. Uh, you may have, have heard about that. You may, uh, even in our culture, you hear about fasting or doing a juice cleanse or in many other things. Uh, and people often look to fasting as a way to, uh, to cleanse or, or maybe they're trying to, to get some health benefits out of fasting. Uh, but the, the practice of fasting from a spiritual standpoint is what we want to address. And, uh, and as I mentioned before, this is something that we've been doing for a, for a, for a while in our church. This isn't just something that's, uh, that we just started. We've, we've been fasting as a, as a family, as a church body for, for several years now. And I just have to tell you guys that it has been, uh, one of the most incredible seasons, um, of my life personally, uh, just spiritually watching God move in our church. Uh, so when people uh, ask, uh, you know, should I fast, my answer is like, yes, you should, uh, but why? And, uh, and so hopefully uh, we'll share a few uh, of those experiences with you guys so that you understand why we've come to, uh, to make this such an important part uh, of what we do as a church. But the Lord was speaking more than that uh, to me as I was preparing uh, and, uh, and I must admit, I did not have a lot of time to prepare uh, this week. Uh, things came up, and yet the Lord knows these things. So I am just going to trust him today, that what he has laid on my heart, uh, that the Holy Spirit will speak that. Uh, and let's do that together, but let's open up in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, just thank you for today. Lord, I just thank you for uh, all the good things that, that you are doing in our lives. I thank you for the beautiful time of worship that we had this morning. God, just my heart was so moved, uh, just hearing your people with hands lifted high and voices raised in worship to you, Lord, it just moved my spirit. Lord, I know your spirit is here, and so I ask you today as a vessel who is weak, who is empty, who is even unprepared, God, to, uh, to move through me and to speak through me what you would have to speak to this body. Lord, we just uh, pray that you would be glorified today, that Jesus would be lifted high above everything else, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to start. Uh, my notes actually are void of the primary verse that the Lord was actually uh, bringing to me all week. Uh, and even actually before this week, uh, the Lord had been, had been putting something very specific on my heart. So if you guys want to turn to Luke chapter 5, we'll start there. We're only going to read a couple of verses uh, in Luke chapter 5. But this, was, this will be the basis for a lot of, uh, of where I'm coming from today. And many of the things that the Lord has been doing in my life, this is, this is speaking from that position of, in Luke chapter 5. Uh, you'll want to turn to verse 33. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Now, the, uh, 
The Pharisees and the scribes were questioning Jesus. He had uh, just recently uh, called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. He's spending time eating with, uh, with, uh, with Matthew and with others who were deemed uh, tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, of course, didn't like just about everything that he did. Uh, but one of the things that they complained about was, uh, was that he would feast with them. And then they brought up this question of fasting. That's where we kind of set the stage and find ourselves here uh, in verse 33. So these are the scribes and the Pharisees that are, that are speaking to Jesus. And they said, then they, sh- then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. That verse has been on my heart. The Lord has uh, been renewing it in me more and more and more. You see, while the disciples were on the earth, they had this incredible opportunity that I'm sure all of us uh, would long for. This this moment of uh, these years of walking uh, with Jesus in his ministry. They got to see uh, some of the most amazing times uh, ever recorded in all of history unfold before their very eyes. In fact, when we think back to Hebrews, and that passage is one that, that often comes to mind about all these men of faith, and it talked about faith, and it talked about how, what they did, and, and it said, none of them got to see this. And then all of a sudden, here Jesus is here, and his disciples, these these 12 apostles that he handpicked, and I just read Luke last night, and I was reading through it, and I went through that, uh, that time where Jesus goes to the mountain, and he prays, and he's talking with the Father. He says this was something he did regularly as, uh, as, as part of his ministry, but especially in these, in these early years before he had even called the disciples. It talked about his practice of going to the mountain and praying. It was something that they knew about him. They noticed about him. He wasn't necessarily famous yet. Uh, His fame was beginning to spread, but he would withdraw to the mountain, and then he would pray. And it was after one of those moments of of communion with the Father that that he comes out. I can only imagine that they they must have been even talking a little bit about the Twelve. I I can only think that that was, you know, this conversation, and it's pointed out to us in the Scripture, that he went up to the mountain, and then after that he came and he picked the Twelve. And I, I can just imagine what kind of a conversation the Son and the Father must have been having. But incredible nonetheless. Not the point of today, but just something that was speaking to me. But these guys got to walk with Jesus. But Jesus says, there's a time coming when I'm not going to be here. So right now, there's no need for them to fast. They're, they're walking with me, the, the, the Son of God, the, the creator of the universe. They, they have me right now, but a time is coming. And of course, they had no idea at this point what that, what that meant. But he's telling them a time is coming when they will, when they will fast. So... We'll depart from there for a moment. I just wanted to, uh, to kind of set the stage for what the Lord was speaking to me in my heart. And, and hopefully as we, uh, as we bring things back around today, you'll understand 
because of that scripture, why some of these things uh, are so uh, such strong convictions to me. But I want to I want to I want to step away from that for a moment because I I think there's an opportunity here for us to to share a little bit as a family, and I, I kind of alluded to that. We've been fasting for a time, uh, for a few years together, and these have been some incredible moments, and I will share a little bit more ab- about that as, as a part of my testimony, uh, but we've just watched God do some incredible things, from knitting this body together uh, in a way that I've, I've never really experienced. I, I could say that in any other body that I've ever been a part of. Uh, to growing in us uh, a hunger for the word, uh, from watching God do an incredible movement on an Easter after fasting and just uh, many, many people uh, being baptized, even those that were maybe believers but had just never been obedient to follow Jesus in that, in that commandment coming forward. It, no one had, had necessarily planned just in their good Easter clothes. And I can't remember, it was somewhere northward of 40 or 50 baptisms that day, uh, most of them unplanned. Uh, just watching God move because that's not something that happens out of something that we conjure up in our own, in our own doing, in our own desire, in our own heart. That's a move of the Spirit and we've just watched God do that consistently when we fast. So when we come together as elders and pastors and say we're, we're setting aside a time to fast and we're calling the body to participate, it's not because we want you to just go and afflict your flesh for the week out of hoping that somehow that it's, it's we genuinely believe that God moves powerfully in those times where we set aside the world and the things of the world for even just a moment, just a week, and we seek God and say, you, I'm hungry for you above hungry for this food. I'm hungry for you above all these other things that normally uh, take up most of my time in my life. And I don't think it's any wonder that when we do that, that we see God move in ways we don't normally when we are so consumed with everything else. I don't think that's any wonder. I don't think that's any accident. But so we've seen that happen. We've seen God do some incredible things. Uh, And many people, I could probably look out here uh, and pick any number of people that I see that have participated in in fasting. And you guys probably could share uh, an incredible testimony of something that God has done. And one of the things we wanted to do in in these next two weeks was give an opportunity for some people to share. So with that, uh, and before I continue on, I'd like to call DJ to come on up here and join me. Uh, And DJ has participated... uh, how many fasts have you participated uh, in? Just, just one. Just one, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know that, uh, that DJ was, uh, was impacted by that week of fasting and, uh, and that God has, has done many things in his life, in his family, uh, in this time, in this season, both before and after. And I know that's something that he might even want to allude to in his, uh, in his testimony. But with that, DJ, I'm going to just turn it over to you to kind of share your experience in that fasting week. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Good morning. Am I loud and clear up here? It's kind of warm up here. I've never <laughs> stood up here. But nonetheless, good morning. My name is DJ Kerr, and um, I'm not one, probably like most of you, that want to come up and talk about myself. I'd rather just teach and put all the focus on the Lord or learn more about you. But I've been asked to come up here. And in reflection, when Aaron had asked if I would share my testimony of fasting last year, and um, it really had me reflect a bunch in preparation of different seasons of fasting that I've gone through that I'd like to share with you guys. And ultimately what it's done for me in those reflections is to see the glory of God in that. So I'm, it really bolstered my 
uh, my heart this last 24 hours and kind of going through that those seasons. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm from California, but grew up in Southwest Washington. Anyone else from Vancouver in here? Any, any other? No? Well, nonetheless, I grew up in Vancouver, vacationed in Central Oregon most of my life. Like a lot of people, they end up moving out here. Got married um, to my lovely wife, Brenda, and we moved out here in a different season to, uh, to Lapine Bend area. We didn't have kids at the time and came out here, recession, 08, 09, took us back to Portland, Vancouver for work. And see, I became a believer in college at 20, um, was baptized with the Spirit at 30, actually at the Lapine Calvary Chapel. And God was just starting to do an amazing work in my life and in our lives together. And when we moved back to Vancouver, I was scheming in the flesh. I was every day, you just asked Brent, I was looking on Craigslist for different jobs to want to move back to, to Central Oregon, back to Bend. And for about a year, I, I, in my flesh, was like Central Oregon was like this idol of want to go back, want to go back. What can I do? What job openings are, you know, are, are available for us? And Brenda kept encouraging me, you know, if the Lord wants us to return, he'll open the doors the right way. Let's not scheme. Let's just wait upon the Lord. I think for about a year, I was just lusting in my flesh to want to come back to Central Oregon. And finally, we got busy with life, started having more kids, and, and uh, just kind of at a happenstance that, that lusting, if you will, of the flesh to move back kind of just got put on the back burner. I just got focused on life in the here and now um, and indirectly kind of waiting upon the Lord. And through that season, we had a little Herod in our lives. Um, I want to reference Acts chapter 13 here in a moment, but you know, we can recall the season of the early church, just um, Herod coming down and all the persecution going down on um, the apostles and the disciples in that season of the early church. And we, I, had, I have a little Herod. I think we all have little Herods with a little H or a little A for Antichrist that are, that are attacking us, right? And my little H of Herod happened to be my parents. And without going into the details of it, um, and then now looking back and realizing we were waiting upon the Lord to open up the right doors to come back to the central organ for his purpose, it just so happened to be that setting central organ out of my flesh, getting focused on the here and now, getting very involved with our local church at, in that time, and, and, and seeing the hedge that the Lord was putting around us and dealing with, with the, the little Herods in our lives at the time, um, that... About two years ago, or maybe it's been three years now, I got notice um, from someone that my parents were moving back from Las Vegas to Vancouver, and that was the last thing that that we wanted because I was I, we, I've separated myself from them for for other for some reasons, and that same week I found out that my job, the company I work with, uh, had an opening in Bend. It was like the same exact week. It was like, oh, my parents are coming to town. Oh, bummer. Oh. There's a job opening for the company that I'm with that, that is, that my work, a lot of my ministry is in my, the work that I do, and so it was just, okay, here's an economic opportunity to at least come back. Those doors opened, we came back, and I kept telling Brenda that we cannot come back to Central Oregon just for the pine trees, and that's something that we keep reminding ourselves. I remember I just kept saying, we're not moving back just because, of, that was kind of our way of saying, you know, the beauty of what Central Oregon has to offer, and, and so I was commuting daily back and forth uh, or weekly, I should say, for about six months from Vancouver to Bend and working um, in Bend. And we just knew we were moving to Bend. Maybe Sister's kind of a cute little town. Um, those are kind of our areas that we're looking at. And then during that season, I was going through a season of 
I guess, in a sense of fasting. That was a, it, actually what happened was the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> does, anyone, does anyone remember when the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots? Yeah. I mean, it literally, as a clock ticked tick down, was, I mean, after that interception, I still thought there was a chance. But there, and the clock ticked down. I'm like, I'm cutting off social media. Or not social media, but I'm sports talk media. I'm like, I'm, I'm done for a couple months. I just, I'm done. And so in my commuting, I do a lot of, you know, I, that's kind of a lot of driving weekly back and forth to the valley. And, and so a lot of worship, a lot of good Bible teaching, but I'd sneak in some sports talk radio here and there and kind of get a 50-50 balance. But I'm like, I'm done. It's all worship. I'm waiting upon you, Lord. It's uh, good Bible teaching. And then when I'm here during the week, away from my family at night, I'm working. I'm going back to where I was staying, no media. And I was in the Word every night going through, through my deductive devotionals is what I like to call it, consistently for a couple months. And so I, looking back, that was a season of fasting, if you will, from... Um, some of the little idols in my heart. <laughs> and during that season, Brenda and I were, were, were selling our house over there. We're moving over here. I think we're going to Ben, going to Sisters. One week, the Lord just said, actually, let's pause for a moment. And let's look at Acts chapter 13, if you're able to get there. So in Acts chapter 13, again, this is on the uh, kind of the middle of Herod, um, playing Havoc. Or at least being the point guard on that, on the early church. Um, 13 verse 2, as they ministered, so the, the local church in, in Antioch, I believe, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So what caught me in, in kind of putting this as a fulcrum for today on, on my fasting and testimonies as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. I look back and go, that was a season of, I wasn't fasting from food at that time. Um, I'll get to that here in a moment. But that was just a season of fasting from some idols and being very dedicated in my margin time. And I, to me, I look back in my life now and go, in my margin time in the morning, in the evening, when, when I'm not um, serving my family or the church or at work, what am I doing with my margin time? Am I, am I fasting, if you will? from the little idols, or um, am I engaged in those little idols? So this was a season of, during that margin time, of, of ministering to the Lord and fasting from, from the idols in my life, if you will. So during this couple months of, of this, the Lord said, hey, go check out Prineville. And I thought, Prineville? I'm a city slicker. <laughs> go check it. We'd driven out here once, I think, when we lived out here, and, and um, I wasn't too impressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we wanted to move to Sisters, you know, a cute little town. But nonetheless, I took a weekend, came here, came to the church here, um, and I could see what God was doing in the church. We also had been praying not only to return to Central Oregon, but there would be a young, multi-generational church that's on fire for the Lord. And came that Sunday, I was the first Sunday that they were sending the first Nepal team off, and I thought Blaine was the senior pastor because he's the older guy, but <laughs> I thought they gave, had given Rory, the, the young uh, children's ministry leader, an opportunity to teach that day, but um, that, was my, <laughs> that was my impression of that. Nonetheless, um, this, so the Lord just really having that, the margin time being dedicated to the Lord, I was able to hear the Lord. And so that, a couple weekends later, the family came out. We came to the church, checked out the community, and we're like, we don't know why we're moving here, but the Lord has us go, coming here. So nonetheless, we move to Prineville, and I stop. My margin time is filled back with my little idols. And 
all of a sudden, like, why the heck did we move to Prineville? I mean, we love the church. We're coming here. Um, why, why, why? I work 35 miles away. I work in Portland still. Why, why are we here in, in Prineville? And I went through a grumbling season. So my margin times of kind of fasting, if you will, got filled back up with my little, little aisles. And then it was um, the calling to go to Nepal last year. I think the elders had exhorted us to fast on Wednesdays, kind of leading up so you could discern, you know, get good, true discernment if, if going to Nepal, is, you know, is a call for you. And, and so I started on, I think, Wednesdays. That was my first time of fasting from food. Um, you know, for one day, it's, it's not that bad. And so, yes, I had this margin, margin day, and, and I felt the burn to go to Nepal. And I just wanted to make sure it wasn't out of just trekking through the Himalayas, but there was real... Lord's work behind that. Um, the week of fasting came up, and my flesh said, so then, I think it was two weeks before we left for Nepal, um, the Lord, or we had our week of fasting, and I remember my flesh was like, I don't want to do this, but my spirit was like, yes, this is great. I, you know, my, my, it, was, it was spiritual warfare, right? And, but to do it corporately, and, and to have the elders up here exhorting us, and, and I think we're meeting here daily. I, can't, I think we're meeting here daily in the morning, um, and it was just a great time corporately to do this. It was the first time I've ever done that, and that was a, a year ago. And what I had found during that week was, was clarity. Every step, especially at work, totally dependent upon the Lord. Because um, I, I meet with a lot of people and have important conversations with them. And I just felt myself really having, just really focused on them. And Lord, you know, give me the power to, to, to give good advice and give good counsel and and. Um, and I found that to be a very focused time at work. I found it to be more time where I slept at home. I think I came home and slept more because <laughs> um, just a little bit low on energy. But, um, but that was a, just a blessed season looking back, and that led to going to Nepal. And going to Nepal, um, that was, again, kind of like fasting from the world. If you've been immersed in a third-world country in mission-specific you know, type situation, fasting from the world and depending upon the Lord arm-in-arm um, arm with your brothers and sisters Every single step, depending upon the Lord, but having your brothers and sisters to hold you up. So I know I'm over my time here, um, but I just want to exhort you guys to, to introspect your heart, to fast during the margin times, and also corporately to fast um, so you can do it here at the church with our brothers and sisters. Awesome. Thanks, DJ. Thank you, DJ. Really, um, man, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, I I was questioning, Lord, you know, is how is this going to flow? How is this going to work? Uh, And uh, and DJ even uh, brought up several things and examples of things that I have in my notes today, and and so. I uh, just feel like that's confirmation from the Holy Spirit to just continue uh, in exactly the vein that, that, uh, that he led me to go. So with that, uh, I just, uh, I'm going to share a little bit here um, about my fasting experience. Uh, and, uh, and I've been a part of the church here for uh, eight, almost nine years. Um, and uh, as an elder for a few, I don't know, I lose count now at this point how many, how many years that's been. But, but just such a blessing and, a, and an honor to, to serve this body. And I, I alluded to something earlier um, that in that time of fasting, uh, I have really watched the Lord move in this body in ways that I've, that I've never seen before. And I, uh, it wasn't long after we moved here. Uh, that Rory also moved here. In fact, I think uh, 
A few months after our first move, uh, we were competing with Rory moving to town for people to help us get from one house to another. Uh, and uh, but but thankfully, his body's so good at just serving one another. There was no no problem there. But uh, but we just were. Um, uh, new to this whole concept of fasting. Now, I grew up in the church. I grew up, uh, you know, in a, in a tradition that, um, that actually uh, likes to um, pride itself in a tradition that, that really is, is responsive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I grew up going to a lot of church camps and a lot of activities and events, and there was always this emphasis, on, but I never, ever came across uh, in, in all of my time at that, uh, at that particular church uh, an emphasis or a call to fasting. So coming here and hearing that call was something that was very new to me. Now that's not to say that, that there aren't those who, uh, you know, who practice that. My grandmother, for example, uh, is a, is a um, we'll just call her a serial faster. Uh, she fasts regularly. Uh, and, but she also is the person in my life who when I feel like I need to, uh, I've maybe joked about this before, but you know, you have Batman with the little red phone and the commissioner over here and they pick up the phone and you know, and Batman, you know, is right there. And that's kind of how I feel uh, with my grandma and with the Holy Spirit. I just say, hey, grandma, I'm, I, need some, I need some advice. And through the years, I just have trusted that she has this, this connection with the Holy Spirit that I've come to believe is a direct result, not of, uh, of anything else that's special necessarily about her, but the fact that she has, has committed herself to a practice of prayer and of fasting. She walks in the Spirit like nobody else that I know other than my grandfather who's no longer with us. But even when I talk to Grandma, she's like, oh, oh, you never met anybody like your grandpa. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't get to spend as much time as I would like to uh, in the years growing up with him. And yet, nonetheless, he's been very impactful uh, in my life. He was a missionary to Brazil, uh, but he spent and devoted his time uh, to that wasn't in evangelism, to prayer and to fasting. And the Lord moved powerfully uh, in his ministry. And I remember my grandmother sharing stories with me about how she would go out into the living room on a Saturday and as he was getting ready for a sermon on Sunday, and sometimes the TV would be on, uh, and she'd say, Bernard, Bernard, and she said it was like he wasn't even there. And even while he had turned on the TV to watch a sporting event or something else, uh, he spent time with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would speak to him, and to where he's not even really watching the TV anymore, he's just praying. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to him, telling him how many people in the service were, uh, were, were there who, who were going to respond to the altar call. I mean, the details and things that, that, that there's no way he could know outside of just this incredible walk with the Holy Spirit. I could tell you story after story uh, of the incredible things, and, and they sometimes sound so incredible, they're almost unbelievable, until you begin to experience them yourself, and you begin to realize that, that the God of the Bible is not something, the Bible isn't something we just read about what God did. We come to realize as we experience God that this is what he's doing now. When we go to Nepal and we pray for somebody who was blind, and then we come back and they can see we know that that wasn't anything that has to do with us. It might not even have been us that prayed. She might have been prayed for by some other believers. But God has healed this woman. And now she's a part of the new believers class in Bedour, sharing her testimony about how God has come and saved her and how he healed her. 
Those are, those are things you can't, you, you can't go and, 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 uh, and, and, and find a lot of people in the world with similar experience. But it validates for you what God is telling you, and it validates his word. It validates the gospel. When we see so many things in the book of Acts, the believers prayed that God would do those things so that it would validate the gospel in these very difficult areas sometimes where we go. We watched the movie, The Insanity of God, uh, Friday night. I, I know a few of you were, uh, that are here were able to, uh, to be there for that. What an incredible event. But that was some of the same thing, the same testimony that Nick Ripkin was, was talking about, uh, about how he began to, to, uh, to have this challenge of as he met with these believers and they shared their stories, incredible stories of what God does in their lives uh, in persecution. In, in these places where they live and they have nothing else but to cling to Jesus and to meet with one another. And that is their life. They, they, they work and then, they, and then they, they meet with one another and they endure this persecution uh, and they glorify the name of Jesus. And, and God is moving powerfully. But for Nick, that was something that was hard for him to understand. Because coming out of Western culture, we don't, we don't normally experience those things. We don't, we don't see those things. We're not living under that. And it just was such a powerful testimony where Nick said, I, I was confronted with that in my life, where I began to realize that these guys were living out an experience, a, a, a God who was moving like he did in the book of Acts, but I was living as if those were just stories from the past. You know, I don't want to, to, uh, to belabor that too much. That's just something that, that in these experiences, I, once you begin to have the Holy Spirit move in your life, you begin to understand that, that God is, uh, is, is far more powerful and, and moves in ways that, that, are, that are beyond our, even our ability to understand. But he's given us a tool. One of those tools is, is prayer. He's given us the opportunity to, to participate with him. I love what John Piper has said previously about this. Uh, uh, I quote this. It's, uh, he's speaking specifically about prayer. And he says, If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass Events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool. If you are offered the privilege of engaging with God in such a way that your request could bring into being things that otherwise would not otherwise come into being, not to avail yourself of that privilege is folly of the highest order. He's basically saying if we don't take advantage of prayer, we are missing out. We're making a colossal error. The creator of the universe has, has given us prayer as, as a tool. He's given us fasting as a tool. We see in, uh, in, uh, in Mark where Jesus tells the disciples he's had this encounter. And the disciples who he gave authority to cast out spirits and to heal uh, diseases. Uh, they, there's a man and, and, and he has a son who's been possessed. And, and this demon has, has tried to destroy his son. And and uh, Jesus comes down and he says, hey, your disciples have, have not been able to cast out this demon. And he, and he goes and he casts the demon out of the, out of the boy. And later the disciples come to him and they're, they're genuinely uh, questioning, well, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do that? And he responds to them and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. You see, fasting is a powerful spiritual tool, and it's one that we've come to recognize uh, in our church that God has used it to shape even the direction of where our church has gone and where it's going. Many of you who are new may, may not know or understand a lot of the story about where we've been, but as I kind of talked about that first year that we fasted, I just watched God do something I've never seen 
and a church body in my life. As we gather down here together and, the, and we circle up, I don't know, we have so many people now, we might not be able to just circle up the, or circle up the chairs and, 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 and fit everybody, but, but we would circle up the chairs and everybody would be there and we would, we would meet together as, as often as we could and we would, we would pray and we would read the scripture. I think that year we read through, I can't remember if that was the year that we read through Old Testament or New Testament, but we would read uh, through, the, through the scripture together as a body, all of us, and then we would pray, and we would, we would do that three times a day for a week. And this incredible thing happened. I just saw uh, the Holy Spirit begin to knit to heart, the hearts together of the people of this body. And, and they stopped coming to church, and they started being the church. The, that, that idea that we see in Acts of, uh, of the body genuinely having love and care and concern for one another, I began to watch the Lord birth that in our hearts, mine included. That was not something that, I, that, I, that I'd ever experienced before. And, and at the same time, I was going through a season in my life of, uh, of a lot of sin and, and idolatry, and, and, and the Lord just began to burn in me a hunger for his word. As we gathered there, and I'd never had that before. I'd never uh, had this, this desire where it was like, I got I to gotta consume this word. Like, like, my body needs to eat. I need to have this word. I'd never experienced that before. To me, opening the, the Bible was a little bit more of a chore. Doing devotions was a little bit more of a chore. I never really, I, I thought of it more as something that I check off the list, not something that my, that my spirit just longed and yearned for. And I, and I can tell you that that was not a, a, a work in my uh, heart that I could accomplish, that I could do. I've been doing that for, you know, for 30 years. You know, after every youth camp, coming home, resolved, I'm going you know, to get in my devotions this year. And then, you know, after about three days, that, that was long gone. You know, so lots of things that I watched the Lord do. And then we've seen God do acts of, of healing and, and miracles through, uh, through fasting uh, numerous times. I've seen that in my, in my own life of opportunities where I was, uh, I was sick. I, I can recall one time where I was having some, uh, some back pain a few, several years ago and, and uh, lower back pain. And it had creeped up uh, uh, at a fantasy football weekend uh, at my in-law's house. And I had slept on the couch and, and uh, was one of those sleep-away couches, you know, where it's got a metal bar in it, basically. And I had just slept on it, and I woke up, and it felt a little bit, you know, a little bit funky. And, uh, and, uh, and, and within a couple of days, it was so painful, I could hardly move. I could hardly get up out of bed. And yet I had to drive to work every day and, and bend, and, and I was just in excruciating pain for, for hours every single day. And I thought, well, you know, after a week or two, that should go away. Uh, well, about two months later, I was getting to the point where I was just depressed. I was constantly uh, in pain. And, and in some desperation, I, I cried out to the Lord and I said, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I, you know, I, uh, I'm hurting, Lord. Do you not see me? Do you not heal? Do you, do you, I understand that, you know, we struggle through this life, but this is getting to be unbearable. I can barely do and function the way that I need to function as a father, as a, as a provider, and all these other things. And uh, and I had recalled and just remembered a, a period of, uh, of, of the Lord um, healing uh, me at another time during a fast. So I set aside that time to fast. And, as, and, it, and it happened to be that the church was coming up on their annual week of prayer and fasting. So I said, perfect timing, Lord. And I took the opportunity to fast and to pray. And the funny thing about how the Lord works is that sometimes you don't even realize that he's working. And in fact, that's something that I'll get to in a few minutes. But, uh, but as, uh, as we fasted and prayed, I just, I just resolved that it would be something where I would give that week, that time to the Lord. And so, uh, so we did. 
And about three weeks later, I suddenly realized that, hey, my back hasn't hurt for three weeks now. It's just something that the Lord did. It'd been hurting for months. There was no relief, no anything. And in the period of, of, a, of a time of just, uh, of just prayer and fasting, I'm not telling you that that's what the Lord will do, but I'm telling you that he can. I'm telling you that those are moments when we seek him and we, and we, and we, and we, and we put aside everything else and we go after the Lord with everything that we have. Um, he meets us there. You know, after the very first fast, and I wanted to speak this to you because I think it's very often that we have an idea in my mind of, uh, or in our mind of what we want God to do for us. I know I did. I had all kinds of ideas about what I wanted God to do in my life through this fast, uh, whether that was um, spiritual gifts that I desired or uh, things in my life that I wanted to see the Lord do. Uh, and I went in with a lot of expectation. Uh, and going in with the wrong expectation can often lead to a lot of disappointment. And as the week went on and we fasted together, uh, and there was some rich time, but I found myself near the end of that fast. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I'd grown in hunger for the word. There were some things like that that the Lord was doing. But I wasn't seeing the things that I had marked on my list and said, Lord, I want you to do these things in my life. And so as that, as that week came to a close, and I was very, um, actually, I was starting to get a little discouraged in that. I don't know if you have ever sought the Lord for something very specific, and you've grown discouraged. I think that's something that probably most of us can relate to at some point in our life, whether that's a, a, a loved one who doesn't believe in, in Christ and we've prayed for them for years and years and years, whether that's something in our life that's where we have a struggle. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe it's a, a struggle like I had where uh, we were physically were struggling. And, and the Lord uh, didn't meet me where I thought I, that he should. And the interesting thing about that fast, and it may be still the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me with regard to fasting, was that I got to the end of that week, and that same grandma who has fasted and prayed for me my whole life, I called her, and she said, well, what did God do? Tell me, I'm so excited to hear what God did in your life this week. And I was a little discouraged at that moment, and I said, Grandma, I don't know that he really did much of anything at all. You know, I had all these ideas and all these things I'm praying for, these desires that are on my heart, these things that I want the Lord to do. And I don't think I could say that any of them have happened this week. And that was made even more discouraging <laughs> as we sat down as a, as a body and, and people shared testimonies and I just heard these incredible things. God spoke to me about this and, and it was so incredible. And then uh, this testimony over here and and, uh, but my grandma spoke some words to me. She said, you know what happens? If you set your heart aside and, and you set your time aside and your heart is pure and genuine in that, then the Lord did something. You may not know what that something is, but I promise you that he will do something in your life. And that immediately brought some comfort to me, although... I still was a little discouraged that my list was not accomplished. But I can remember that night at the fast or the breaking of the fast where we gather together as a as a body and we share some soup and uh, and and break and end our fast together. That was my testimony that night. I don't know what the Lord did in my life, but I do know that he did something because I was faithful 
to set that aside in my heart, I believe is pure in wanting to seek him and to know him and to follow him and to worship him. Well, you fast forward a few weeks and that hunger for the word was still uh, in my heart and I was, uh, and, and that was definitely a work of the Lord. But suddenly I realized one day as I was walking up the stairs, just the most mundane thing that we do sometimes in our day, was walking up the stairs by the laundry room in the house we were renting at the time. And suddenly it was almost an audible voice that came to me. I mean, I could have sworn that somebody was there speaking to me. But as I was asking the Lord, what did you do? Lord, I'm just curious. And all of a sudden in my mind, I just began to realize that for three weeks, many of those idols, many of those sinful patterns that were in my life, I hadn't been struggling with them. I hadn't, in fact, I had, I had gone for three weeks just feasting on the Lord and, and reading the word. And, and those things hadn't even been, the, there is a temptation, which we know the enemy is constantly at work, at tempting and, and, and working at, uh, on us. And almost as, as quick as the thought came to my mind that I hadn't been struggling, the Lord said, that's what I did. I set you free. I set you free. That is one of the most incredible things that has ever happened to me in my life before or since. You know, I've experienced some neat things. I've watched the Lord move. I've experienced healing. But being set free from bondage is maybe the most powerful work that the Lord has ever done. Now, that doesn't mean that those same idols and those same temptations never come back to us. Those things came, but I had, at that point, the Lord had showed me, look, I, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You no longer have to be a slave to those things. What an incredible testimony that was to me. Uh, three minutes. We're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abuse the clock a little bit. So, uh, so in that, um, I wanted to, to just hit on a few things scripturally. You know, we see that there's lots of reasons why, uh, why we would fast. I think we've already hit on one. that We see that the Lord has for us something in fasting and in prayer that we don't have without that. You know, if we're going to go and we're going to, uh, to head into places now, and we make, I think we make the mistake of believing that we only experience uh, the enemy. We only experience uh, demonic encounters when we go overseas or we go into these places where there's such obvious darkness. But I can tell you right now that our culture lives in perpetual darkness. There is just the same demonic forces at work here that are, that are at work there. So I, I think it would be a, a mistake for us to think that we only need to fast and to pray uh, for, this, for this power over, uh, in this case, uh, casting out this demon that was in this boy. You know, we've had experiences with, with the demonic that have walked right into this church or have walked into the park on a Sunday afternoon as we're doing uh, a service out there in the middle of the community. I think it's a mistake for us to think that that's only for those times and those moments where, where we travel into where darkness just seems so obvious because it's, you know, you're looking at physical idols and you know that people are asking the demonic to, you know, to be a part of their life and to, and to help them. 
course you're going to run into the demonic there. These guys that went to Demon Lake can tell you that they experienced some extreme, extreme uh, uh, spiritual heaviness and persecution uh, as they headed up to that area that, that is known for its darkness. But we live in a culture that's perpetually under darkness and increasingly uh, their heart is hardened to the gospel. I have to believe that the same power that, that uh, does it work in so many in the gospel. You see so many come to Jesus uh, to have the spirits and, and the things cast out of them. I've got to believe that, that that happens in our culture as well. That some of those who are oppressed and, and deeply, deeply have so much hatred in their heart for, for God, for, things, uh, for the church, for anything that, that points to Jesus. They won't even speak his name. Such an incredible, except a curse, such an incredible darkness. So we see that, that there's a powerful component that, that God promises us that, that, hey, there's some things you won't, there's some these demons here that you won't even be able to cast out. They only come out by prayer and fasting. So we know that, that just, like, just like, like John Piper in his quote about prayer, you know, if we know that, if we know that there's power there in, 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 uh, in, in these spiritual tools that God gives us, then it seems foolish that we wouldn't avail ourselves of those things. But we also see, and I believe that this is somewhat of maybe what even Jesus was alluding to with the disciples as we go back to that verse about, hey, the bridegroom is, is going to be gone, and at that time, believe me, they're going to fast. We see that, that fasting comes also as, a, as, a, as something that happens when we, when we mourn, when we lament uh, maybe uh, an example, a good example of that would be Nehemiah. Nehemiah was calling out and, and he, he understood that Israel had, had fallen from the Lord. That they had stopped obeying the Lord's commands, that they had chased after other idols. And Nehemiah in, in chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, says, As soon as I heard these words, and he was talking about the hearing about the wall and the uh, and the gates at the at uh, Jerusalem, the gates having been burned and the wall broken down. So as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I want you to listen to his words. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Similarly, Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 3 through 7, the words are, it's, a, it's striking how similar they are. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice the, the similarity there. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. 
but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who near and those who are far away in all lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. So we see that in, in, the, in the word of God, in the Bible, we see that oftentimes uh, that, that these men of God, these praying men, these men who were sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit's leading would, would call out, and, and God, I believe, would seek out praying men in these, in these times. You know, I think Daniel and Nehemiah, you can look at these men, you can look at the, at the pattern of their life, and even they stand and, and say, look, I have sinned, and they, and they call out to the Lord on behalf of their people. I think if we look at, at much of our culture, and I think Rory hit on this a little bit last week in, in his message, I think it's very easy for us in a land of so much and so much entertainment and so many things to keep and occupy our time, I think it's very easy for us to, to slowly but surely uh, get to the place where we no longer find it uh, in our heart, this, this desire even to honor God in what we do. I don't know that we always mean for these things to happen, but just a slow fade, so to speak. I don't know how many of you guys have heard that song before, but talking about it's a slow fade to give yourself away. It's a slow fade. And, and I think that so often the enemy is, is crafty. You know, we think that, that somehow, uh, you know, that, that these things are, um, he, he doesn't just do things overnight that, that, that are so obvious to us in our life. He works and just kind of chips away a little bit at a time, a little bit here, a little bit there. And pretty soon we, we have this chasm that exists. And I think this is what Daniel and Nehemiah are looking at. They're like, where did we, how did we get here? Lord, we've sinned. And they, and they, and they fall before the Lord and humble themselves and, and they fast and they pray. You know, Joel's no different uh, the Lord tells the people, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He, he asked them to declare a fast. I'm not saying that, that our church is, uh, is in sin. I'm saying as a culture, it's so easy for us to consume almost 24-7 everything but God. And I believe that, that when Jesus was talking about the disciples, about this time where he's going to be gone, that's the time that we find ourselves in right now. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting that as a, as a church, we've just watched God shape so much of our direction, what we do. Even going to Nepal, all of those, I could say, came out of, of, of things that were a direct result of the fasting that this church has participated in. And that's no credit to us in any way. That's actually just a credit to the Holy Spirit. As we seek him, as we turn and, and, and take time to, to go after him with all that we have, we see that he moves. And as I mentioned before, is that any wonder? Is that any wonder that as we take uh, and set aside the things of this world, that he moves us? But it's also possible for us to do fasting in a way that's just like the Pharisees. We can do fasting and we could turn that into something that it was never meant to be, just like the Lord's Day and keeping the Lord's Day. You know, we talk about that. I know Rory brought that up last week, but we can turn that into something where we become ritualistic. We can become, uh, we can do that in a way that's not God honoring. In fact, many of you might be familiar with Isaiah 58. 
He's talking about fasting and, and says, yet they seek me daily. He says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And he goes on to say, is this the kind of fast that I have called you to, one where, where, you, uh, where you seek your own desire. You know, in a way, that kind of spoke to me a little bit about my previous fast, although uh, that, I, that I talked about where I had my own desires, what I thought I wanted God to do. And thankfully, just in his mercy and his grace, he just looked on a heart that wants to know him and said, you may think that you want those things. But there's some things that I need to do in you first. There's some things that, that, I, that you need that you don't even see that you need. And I need to work those out in you. And thank goodness, thank the Lord that he does that, he does, that, that he does these things. That he doesn't just give me what I want. He had correction for me in my, in my fasting. And, and, uh, and I think that's, you know, it's possible for us to do that like the Pharisees. It's possible for us to, to fast with, uh, with, a, with an attitude that looks down upon others who, who, uh, who are not as righteous as us in, in, our, in our self-righteousness. It's easy for us to look at those and, who aren't fasting, and, and much like the, the two men that came into the temple, and one's like, I'm glad I'm not like that man. And he, and he didn't even address the issues that were in his own heart. And the other man had his... His head down, didn't even look up, just had his head down and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, when, when the people of Israel were held in captivity for all those years in Egypt and, and then again in Babylon, and the Lord said, I've given you a day so, so you can have this, this is freedom. At one point, they saw the Lord's day as actually a celebration of freedom. But how easy it is to twist that into something that becomes a religious uh, obligation. And our wicked hearts are, are often quick to do that. So just a, a, a word of warning. It is very possible for us to, uh, to do things incorrectly. In Matthew, he says, when you fast, Jesus is speaking, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He goes on to tell them, so go about, you know, anoint your head with oil. Go about like your day like you normally would. The point of fasting is not for everybody else to know that you are fasting. I think a lot of people enter fasting and they want everybody to know that they're afflicting themselves. They want everybody to know how spiritual they are. And the Lord says, look, you do that, you've already received your reward. You got your applause from men. Way to go. He says, no, not you. That's not what you do. When you come together and you seek me and you fast, this is not about you. It's about me. So just a few words there of, uh, of warning as we enter this time of fasting. Just some things the Lord was, was putting on my heart. But the thing that, that's just been there all week has been this idea that we are living in this, in this season. It's clear when we look in our culture that we are without the bridegroom. 
It's clear that we need Jesus. It's clear that people in our culture need Jesus. It's not just all those around the world that have yet to hear the gospel. There are so many around us that have heard the gospel. They know what is true. And instead, they have hardened their heart, and they become almost impossible to reach. And not only have they become almost impossible to reach, but now we're living in a time where they want to silence anything that has to do with God. You know, it was an interesting thing in the movie that we watched this Friday. And there was a moment there where one of the, one of the testimonies in, in the movie, I don't want to give it away, but he's speaking to Nick and he says, look, don't give up in freedom what we never give up in persecution. I think that's something that's really difficult for you and I to understand. <laughs> Melvin, is that my two-minute warning? <laughs> Don't give up in freedom what we never give up in persecution. And I want to add something to that because my heart has been provoked. And I feel like it's important that when the Holy Spirit speaks something to us that we are also faithful then to speak it to one another. In fact, I've just become more and more aware of that in these last few years. I feel like the Lord has, 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 has put that on me. And I used to be the kid in school and youth group that I didn't want anybody to even know that I was a Christian. I don't know if any of you can identify with that. But I didn't want to be the guy that was singled out. I didn't want to be uh, the one that was um, the Jesus freak. But the problem is, is that we've given up so much in our freedom. You know, we don't want to be shamed by a world with no answer into boldly proclaiming the only answer. We need to boldly proclaim the only answer. And one of the things that, that was in that movie that really moved me was that you had these believers who said, in, you know, as they were speaking about this idea of not giving up in freedom, what we, what we never give up in persecution, as he said, I took great pleasure, Nick, in knowing that as I was uh, being persecuted, that I was actually, you were more free in Kentucky to continue to share the gospel. And, and Nick said, don't put that on me, you know, that's not something that, you know, but that, that's hard for us to hear because we have such freedom and yet many of us rarely share the gospel. And I think that that's something that Satan has, uh, has taken pleasure in, is that over time we've become to the point where we're even maybe a little bit afraid to do so. Maybe a lot afraid to do so. But there is only one answer. And I love the fact that, that when it gets down to it, these believers, and the question Nick was having to answer for himself was, is Jesus worth it? I think how we answer that question impacts a lot. I think that's the, maybe the most important question that we ever answer is, is Jesus worth it? Because if we answer yes to that question, there's, there's a lot of implications for us, including being doers of the word and not hearers only. 
You know, the challenge in our culture, and I don't want to speak legalism over, over you. I, I ask the, the Holy Spirit to really guard this. But we spend a lot of time consuming a lot of things. We have a lot of idols in our culture. We have sports, especially kids' sports. We all can relate to that, taking not just a lot of time, but many of us have been frustrated about how much time we might give of, of, of our weekend when we want to worship the Lord and we give it to sports. But there's a lot of other things that we consume. And, you know, in Matthew 24, he gives us a, a, an incredible warning. He says, um, don't get drunk with the world. You know, that's the mark of the wicked servant. He says it's the righteous servant that keeps watching for him. It's the righteous servant that, that is constantly living from day to day, just like the disciples did. They believed that he could come at any moment. And I know I've spoken on that before. I know I've spoken on this doctrine of imminent return. But that's how they lived their life, day to day. And yes, there was, there was some times of persecution there. Uh, I think there were some times of, of, of where it was, it was a little bit different to, to call yourself a Christian at that moment. But we look at that and the warning is be like the servant who's ready when the master returns. Be watching, be ready. Be about doing the work that he's called us to do. And, and I think that's what, I, what, I, what I've taken away from a lot of what God has done in this body as we fasted and prayed together and as we've met and we've, we've consecrated this week and set it aside is that the Lord has worked that in us collectively as a body in a way that I've never really seen before. He's lit a fire in us. He's lit a fire that, that, that is to be doing the master's work. But the caution that I would have for all of us is that it's hard to walk in the, in the spirit when we are consuming 90% of the time the world. You know, it's our, it's our entertainment. It's, it's our free time. It's, a, it's actually a DJ. That's what you spoke. So that margin time, you called it, I believe. But, but it's what we do in our free time. And, and, and the thing is, when we live in this kind of a culture where, where we don't face some of the persecution that maybe our brothers and sisters face, um, our flesh craves to be entertained constantly. Whether it's our phones, whether it's TV, the, the reality is that most of us do what we want to do most of the time because when we're not doing what we, what we want to do, we let everybody know about it. When we're frustrated and we're angry because we didn't get to do this thing and our flesh is upset, we let everybody know about it. So, but most of the time, our flesh gets exactly what it wants. Most of the time. And the Lord just really drew my eyes to Galatians and he said, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. Well, how do we walk in the spirit? That's a question we have to answer. I can tell you it doesn't come from spending the majority of our time consuming whatever it is the world has to offer us. And I'm not saying that all those things are bad. Please don't hear that from me. Now, this isn't a question of whether everything that we consume, this isn't about what's, what's right or wrong or good or bad. It's, it's, about what, it's about the fact that that's pretty much all we do. And one of the things that I just wanted to encourage and challenge you guys in this season was to ask the Lord to show you in your fasting, as you prepare your heart to fast, ask him to show you those things. And maybe, just maybe, there might be a time where he might do in you something where he says, look, I want you to fast with the church, but I also want you to set aside 
a day every week, and I just want you to fast. That is a moment for you to escape the constant 24-7 bombardment of you, your family, your culture, all just giving you all of these things. Because my fear is that many of you, if you're like me, it's easy to be bombarded and to not walk in the Spirit. It's easy because it's the default. It's just what we do. It's what's in front of us all the time. You know, he goes on to say, don't be deceived. He who sows to his flesh reaps corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit leaves, reaps life. That's, that's there in Galatians as well, Galatians 6. So he's giving us a, a principle there. Paul is in saying, you need to sow to the Spirit. You need to cultivate to the Spirit. Now, one of the things about, about fasting that I've come to appreciate is, is that we don't often have a lot of opportunities uh, in our culture to suffer. It's kind of hard to identify with somebody in another country uh, who, for example, uh, may suffer because they don't know what they're even going to eat tonight. They're just dependent on God for that very meal. Uh, they don't know if they're going to be uh, beaten or arrested or persecuted. And, and, and one of the things that fasting represents is a little bit of a willing suffering. You know, it's, it's something that our flesh doesn't like. I don't know how many of you like to not eat when you want to eat. Uh, I've never found that to be pleasurable. But I found it to be powerful when I can set aside a time. And it, and it reminds me as my, as my stomach grumbles a little bit. And I'm afflicted a little bit. Man, those have been powerful times where I remember that, man, I've got a brother over there in Nepal that I need to pray for. You know, he leads a church, and, 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 uh, and they're cracking down on proselytizing right now. And, and man, I need to pray for that church, because when I was there, the Holy Spirit said, this valley is light, and it's going out. And, and so my job over here is to also be praying for my brother. You know how often uh, I think about my brother like that during the day? When softball practice is going on, when, uh, you know, when, when the TV is on, when March Madness and the Gonzaga Bulldogs are playing, uh, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't lend itself by nature in, in this culture for me to set aside that time. That's something that has to come from the Holy Spirit. That's something that has to come from a, a willingness and a discipline that only comes from him. You know, we're very dependent upon, upon the Lord and upon the Spirit uh, to help us. And that's the thing that I would encourage you is that may this be a season as we head into this. Ask the Lord to show you what he wants you to do. I believe, and I'm just going to speak this as an elder of this church, that, that God has had us on a trajectory. These, these weeks of fasting have, have been a part of his plan. He has brought us to this point where he is working in us this very real uh, uh, reality for all of us, whether we're here uh, because we exist to make disciples in our city of all nations uh, who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. That's here. That's there, and that's everywhere in between. And I believe that he is working that in us. And I believe that as a church, that if we uh, continue to press into him, that we continue to rely upon him, that we humble ourselves, that we make ourselves available. This isn't something we do in pride. This isn't something we do to show everybody else in every other church. Look at how spiritual we are. This is us getting on our faces before the Lord and saying, even we have sinned, Lord, forgive us as a nation. We look and we see with our eyes that there's, that there's stuff going on. We could see it. He says, you know, you can look at the, at the tree and discern and the season. You can tell and the clouds are gathering. You know what season it is. How come you can't discern the times in which you're living? You know, I think that we can look out and we can discern these are troubling times. 
But we don't need to stand out from a perspective of look at us. We need to humble ourselves and come before the Lord and say, God, how would you have us respond? How would you have us pray? How would you have us go out into this community? How would you have us go into Nepal, into these places around the world? And trust me, we need him. We need his direction. And I'm closing with this. I am sorry. I know we're going late here. But, you know, DJ brought this up as well. And it was in here. And I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't speak to this. You know, as they were appointing elders in the early church in Acts, chapter 14, verse 23, it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. You can see that fasting was an important part of the early church. The fasting, you know, so I don't know where, you know, I mentioned growing up in the church, I don't know where in church history we, we stopped participating in this, in this concept of fasting, but it almost went dark for quite a time. But we can see that the, that the disciples and Paul, uh, you know, in, in Acts 13, 2 and 3, which, which uh, DJ spoke of, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Lord has called us to be a church who goes. We know that. That's become clear in our, uh, in our fasting and the work that the Lord has done in this body and this idea that we're not just here to attend a service once a week. We're here to make disciples uh, of our city and of all nations. The Lord is, is working in us this idea of going. And so if we're going to go, man, I want to be like this church, that, that we don't just do that in our own wisdom. We don't just do that because we think that it's a good idea. We do that, one, yes, because the Lord has told us to, but we do that in, in seeking his leadership, in his desire, and, and that is what has led us to this point where we're even at. And I, I don't want to forsake that for my ideas or my wisdom. So as we enter this time, I know many of you are, are taking part in Equip. We're going to continue this idea of ministry but as, and, and preparing people for ministry. But I know we have a church over in John Day right now that, that's going to be in need of a pastor in our, in our Calvary Chapel Fellowship here. And, uh, and we got a chance to see this with Lapine. God raised up somebody to go to Lapine. It was one of the elders as we're sitting around essentially doing this very thing. It was like the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me. One of you guys is going to go. And none of us, I don't think, in our flesh said, hey, I want to go to Lapine. But God said, no, I, you guys, I'm sending one of you. This is, this is my church, and I am the one that's, that's the leader of this church. I am the head of it. I decide. And, and so he had a plan for Lapine, and he had us gather, pray, fast. And by the end of that time of prayer and fasting, the Lord made it clear who was to go. We have opportunities to do work in Madras and John Day. We have stuff going on in Nepal, and I can speak as an elder who says, I don't want to do that in my own strength. I want to do that with us as a body, knit hearts together uh, in one accord, in mind, in unity, uh, understanding that God has called us to make disciples and that he will direct us and he will lead us. So as we enter this season of prayer and fasting, I just ask that that would be your heart. Just ask him to, 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 uh, to show you maybe what he would have you do in your family. And one of these fasts, our family, I'm not saying you should do this. Maybe you should. <laughs> it's up to you. It's up to you and the Lord. But one of, our, one of our fasts, the Lord said, hey, you know what? That stuff that you guys are watching on TV is, is not edifying to your children. It's not edifying to your family. And you're feeding yourself that, you know, 30, 40 hours a week. You know, I want you to, to cut that out. And we did. 
You know what happens when you go without television for a little while and then you go on vacation and you turn it on and you see a, a commercial for, I think it was pistachios, uh, and I think it was when Fifty Shades of Grey was this big uh, you know, thing coming out. Uh, and they had a, a movie about a, I mean, a, a commercial about a dominatrix liking pistachios. And I just was astonished. I said, you're using this to sell pistachios. Like, I'm not missing anything. It provoked my heart. It provoked my spirit. And when we go to Nepal, it's easy to have your spirit provoked because you see the idols. But I think the more that we press into the Lord and the more that we see where our culture is going, the more that we see that we have similar things here. We may not carve out little statues. Sometimes we do. I probably have a Michael Jordan baseball card or something that at one point I used to, a basketball card I used to idolize quite a bit. But we, uh, but we create our own idols and we give ourselves to them with a lot of freedom. And maybe this would be the year God says, listen, you don't even realize that you're living in bondage, but I want to set you free. Maybe that would just be our prayer. Lord, show us these areas that you want to set us free. Show us these areas where you want to direct and to lead our church to go. And maybe even, Lord, show me that that's something that you want to do in my life. Maybe you want me to go and I don't even know it. Maybe I've never been open to it. But maybe during this week, you would speak to me. At the very least, that we would be open. That we'd be humble. We'd say, Lord, we want you above all else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, this time to gather together, Lord, and uh, to hear what you have done. But Lord, more even to, to rejoice in what you're going to do. Lord, we understand that we are without the bridegroom. And, and, and Lord, I don't want to be remiss in, in saying that this is the focus. We don't do these things just because we want power. We don't even do these things just because you commanded us to. We do these things because we, you are worth it. You're worth it, Jesus. That is why we do any of these things. To, 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 to do these out of any other reason would, uh, would be to bring glory uh, to ourselves instead of to you. And so, God, we pray that you would shape and mold our hearts in this season, that as we as a church look at, at, at uh, around at our culture, and we know that you call your people to be holy. We know that you call us to be set apart. But, Lord, it's so difficult to do. And Lord, I go back to, the, to even that idea that, that may we not be uh, ashamed by a world that has no answers when we are holding the only answer that matters. God, I pray that you would burn that in us and, and, and Lord, that we would be looking for opportunities. It just, it just provoked my heart even Friday as we watched this movie, God, and we see these, these believers in China and Lord, they, they go out and they witness. It's their personal goal to go out and witness to, uh, to a person every day because they feel like when they sit in prison or their brothers and sisters sit in prison and are persecuted, uh, that, that that is their way of not identifying with the persecutor, but by identifying with you. You are so worth it, Jesus. God, I know that's so difficult for us to understand. And Lord, I, I know that, that it's going to take a, a move of you in our hearts. It's going to take a move of the Spirit. We, we're foolish to try to do this in our own strength. But God, may that be the focus of our fast this year. May we go into it, even two weeks before, Lord, praying for you to be glorified, praying for you to be honored with a humble spirit that we would seek you. God, I have to believe that if you even work and call us to, to regular fasting and, and praying, that that's because you want us to abide in you. You want us to, to enjoy presence in, in your presence, and you, you set us free, God. You just want to set us free. 
Lord, our culture gives us so many chains. So many are in bondage. So many can't even see the light anymore. So many are antagonistic even towards the light. They want to to scrub you from culture, from government, from society. And Lord, what a mistake. What a mistake how we've gotten this far. Lord, may we even humble ourselves and mourn and weep for our nation. Lord, it's easy to be critical, but it's hard to humble ourselves and to pray. So God, may you work that out in us as well. Maybe this would be a fast where we just turn and we, we mourn and weep and rend our hearts towards you and ask you to move right here in this nation, right here in this community, Lord. I thank you for this church, Lord. I'm excited for what you're going to do. I'm excited for this time to fast. And Lord, we, we close this time together and we lift up the name of Jesus as the only thing that is worth it. And we, we ask this in his precious name. Amen.